All right, the kids are dismissed to Children's Church. I haven't said that in a while. That sounds good. All right, there's a sense in which um, everything that, that, that we've discussed during this time on Sunday morning for several weeks, several weeks now, has, has led to this particular moment. Um, the Genesis chapter 22 is probably the most difficult text in, in the Old Testament at least, if not in the Bible. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Elie Wiesel, but uh, he was a Holocaust survivor and a Nobel Peace Prize winning author. He called this story terrifying in content. Woody Allen. I don't know if you know Woody Allen, but uh, he has an unusual sense of humor. This text is, is, is so difficult that, that, that you look at it and, and like Ellie Wiesel, you can be horrified. Or, or you look at it and, and somehow you've got to make a joke of it. This is what Woody Allen did with this story. And Abraham awoke in the middle of the night and said to his only son Isaac, I have a, I've had a dream where the voice of the Lord saith that I must sacrifice my only son, so put your pants on. And Isaac trembled and said, so what did you say? I mean, when he brought this whole thing up. What am I going to say, Abraham said. I'm standing here at 2 a.m. in my underwear with the creator of the universe, should I argue? And Sarah, who heard Abraham plan, Abraham's plan, grew vexed and said, How doth thou know that it was the Lord and not say thy friend who loveth practical jokes? And Abraham answered, because it was a deep, resonant voice, well-modulated, and nobody in the desert can rumble like that. And so he took Isaac to a certain place and prepared to sacrifice him. But at the last minute, the Lord stayed Abraham's hand and said, how could thou doest such a thing? And Abraham said, but thou said, never mind what I said, the Lord spoke, doth thou listen to every crazy idea that comes thy way? And Abraham grew ashamed. Er, no, not really, no. I jokingly suggest thou sacrifice Isaac, and then thou immediately runs out to do it. And Abraham fell to his knees. Fell to his knees. See, I never know what, when you're kidding. And the Lord thundered. No sense of humor. I can't believe it. But doth this not prove I love thee, that I was willing to donate my only son on thy whim? And the Lord said, it proves that someone will follow any order, no matter how asinine, as long as it comes from a resonant, well-modulated voice. And with that, the Lord bid Abraham get some rest and check with him tomorrow. Now there's humor there. 
a sarcastic, caustic kind of humor. But there's also underlying that. The undermining of Scripture. And who God is. And what God can rightfully claim. Now, I've, I've, I've shared this passage with people, and I can remember the first time I shared it. I, th- I believe, I believe this was the first time. It was one time. And uh, it was uh, in Indiana. And I can remember getting so worked up about it. And, uh, man, I was just, I was just, I was just preaching my heart out. Just preaching, 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 preaching. And I realized, even this week, that I took the, I took a totally wrong approach. You see, we're going to read the text in a little while, and then you'll, 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 the pieces will fall into place. But, I was telling people, demanding of people, you have got to be more committed to the Lord, and that means giving what you love the most. You have got to be more committed to the Lord. You have got to show your trust in Him more. Wake up and get busy being committed. And I realized this week, probably before this week, but, but it especially hit me this week because I'm on this task. That's, that's not the way to preach this task, this text of the Bible. No. This is, this is the climax of a story. A story in the life of Abraham. And we've had these stories all along. And in these stories, God is developing a man. Listen, in these stories, God is putting a man through a process. And that process has been incredibly demanding at times. There have been great rewards, but along the way it's been incredibly demanding. And what we've seen is God is teaching a person, a a person who represents us. God is teaching a person how to trust Him and why it's possible to do that. Because He's the kind of God that He is. And so the way to teach this is this way. If Abraham truly is representative of us, and if, and if what God is doing in Abraham's life is what he wants to do in ours, this is a picture of where God is taking us. This is a picture, a vision of where God is taking us. To this point, point where we trust him completely where there is little doubt in our mind that God 
has our back no matter what. If you are in Christ, which means that you come to that point in your life, distant past, recent past, doesn't matter when, that you received Him as your Savior because you realized that in yourself you didn't have the resources to please God. And you needed Him. You need Him. You need His death on a cross to pay for your sin. And you've received Jesus Christ in your life. A process has begun in your life. And that process will end when you completely and totally trust God for everything in your life. And until then, it won't end. Now what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. First thing God told Abraham to do is what? He said the first thing he told him to do in chapter 12, leave everything behind that makes you comfortable. Leave everything behind that makes your life convenient. And go to a place you've never seen before and you set up shop there. Go from what's, what's familiar to what's not familiar. To what's comfortable to what's not comfortable. From stability in your life and that feeling of stability to, to maybe what's not so stable. That's what I want you to do. And then along the way, what happens? Along the way, there are people who rise up like Pharaoh. Now, rise up in a text. They rise up in a text like Pharaoh. And Pharaoh presents an obstacle to Abraham because Abraham is afraid of Pharaoh and what Pharaoh can do to him. And so he passes his wife off as his sister because he's afraid. He gets to this land and there's famine in the land. And, and, and he does exactly what God told him to do. He uproots and he goes... And he plants roots, although they're not permanent roots, in another place. He's willing to live as an alien in a foreign land. He's willing to live in tents. And then comes Pharaoh. And before Pharaoh, there was famine. And after that, there's Lot. And after that, there's armies that he has to fight. And after that, there's Abimelech. And all along, there are these obstacles that keep coming His way. Obstacles that keep coming His way. They're like, a, they're like a river that never stops flowing. Obstacles. One obstacle after another obstacle after another obstacle after another obstacle. And as He encounters these obstacles, and as He processes this, this trouble, this hardship, His faith grows. His faith grows. And then comes, listen, please. Then comes, oh, I hope you're listening. Then comes the greatest obstacle of all. Listen, God Himself.
I want you to take that little boy that I gave you, that I overcame an obstacle to give you. I overcame a dead womb to give you this child when you were a hundred years old. I want you to take this child that you love and I want you to burn him. I want you to put him on a pile of wood and I want you to burn him. Now I know how you think about that. You think about that as sacrifice. You think about that as a whole burnt offering and that's what I want you to do. I want you to give what you love the most to me. And so in this climactic event, God becomes an obstacle. I think we're ready to read the text. And it would be easier if I would have marked it. But fortunately, it's in Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. By the way, we're going to take a break from Genesis after today. Maybe go back to it in a few, at a future time. But this will be our last message in Genesis for a little while. After these things. Verse, our chapter 22, verse 1. After these things. So the story, the story continues. These things is, pro- uh, is probably a reference to everything that's happened prior to this. And so the, those, the, the story of Abraham answering, answering two questions, answering two questions, the story of Abraham answers two questions. The first question is, what is God going to do to save us? Because we said we need a Savior. What is God going to do to save us? And the second question that's answered through this study of the life of Abraham is, what is God like? This this creator of the universe, this this wonderful God who's responsible for everything that exists, this powerful God, what is he like? After these things, God, now here's the key that keeps us from throwing our Bibles away and saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this. God tested Abraham. Boy, what a... That, that's the way to start a story like this. The author, the human author, the narrator of the story gives us unnecessary clue as to what's happening. Just like all along, this is a test. God is testing. Now, God doesn't tempt. James chapter 1, God doesn't tempt, but God does test. And if you look at your life and analyze it, carefully and evaluate the circumstances that you've been facing even recently you'll interpret those circumstances good and bad as something of a test 
from God. And what does this test reveal? Because that's what tests reveal. You take a math test and you fail it. What does that reveal? Either that you're a dummy in math or you didn't study for the test. But it might just reveal, it might, in, in the best possible light, it just might reveal that there are areas in math that you need to study, right? A test is, is, is for the benefit of, of, the, of the one being tested, for the benefit of the tester, and it's, it's, it's to, to prove quality. It's to prove quality. So this test is to prove the quality of the faith of Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham. Does God test us? You better believe He does. James chapter 1. Hebrews. We are tested by the circumstances of our life. And the test is, do you trust God? Can you trust God? Will you trust God? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is capable? Do you believe that God rightfully has a claim on our lives? And he said to him, Abraham! And Abraham has learned to be a very good listener and to make himself accessible and available to God. Yes, sir. Here I am. What would you like? He said, God said, take your son, your only son. Now that's a, that's a phrase that references the fact that this is the promised son. This is the son through whom the promised offspring would come. This is the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. A question. Can you understand why Elivisa would say that this is a horrifying story? Can you understand why a man like Woody Allen would have to, to make a joke of it? couple of things. First of all, the first thing to mention is that within, within Abraham's conceptual world, okay, in other words, w- within Abraham's culture, the way he would have thought about, about God and that sort of thing. Remember that we're in, we're in, in the beginning, we don't have all the laws about child sacrifice yet. As they're, as, they're, as they're written down for us in the Old Testament. We don't have those laws yet. So, so at this point in, in Scripture, we're in that discovery process. That's why I say, what is God like? Okay. 
in Abraham's conceptual world, in, in, his, in the world in which he lived, all the gods demanded child sacrifice. I mean, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, to live a prosperous life, it might be necessary for you to give your child in sacrifice. If you wanted the blessing of God, it might be necessary for you to, to offer your child as a sacrifice to the, to the God who's demanding it. So, so in Abraham's, remember, you, you just have to keep this in mind. To Abraham, this is, this is not as illogical to him as it might be to us. The, the illogical part of this is that this was the child of promise. And so, Abraham obeyed. But please understand before I read any more that we're discovering here what kind of God God is. And we know that later on he won't permit people to sacrifice their children as an act of, as a, as a religious expression in order to get some benefit from a God. See, they got it backwards. You don't, listen, please, you don't serve God for the benefit. You don't serve the living God for the benefit that it brings. Please don't say this in my presence. Otherwise, my blood pressure will skyrocket. I serve God because I get heaven. I'm a Christian because I get heaven. No, you're not a Christian because you get heaven. You're a Christian because the living God gave His Son as an offering. Because the living God created us and has a rightful claim to our lives. That's why we serve God. Not for what we get, but because of who He is. This is remarkable. The response of this man. He's... Calm down, Dave. He's waited a couple of decades and more for this child. Can you imagine the pleasure that Abraham got from interacting with this little boy. I don't know if they had any version of play and catch, but can you imagine? All of those things. So Abraham 
rose early in the morning. Now that's a figure of speech. I mean, it's literal, but it's also a figurative speech, a figure of speech pointing to something more. When it says in the Bible that he rose early in the morning, that means he was determined. What was he determined to do? Slit the throat of his son. Abraham rose early in the morning. Now look, look, this is all without question. This is all without fanfare. This was all without drama. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. Nothing dramatic about that. Took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and he went to the place with which God had told him. There's absolutely no drama there. I, I don't know about you, but the, the next morning, I might have pulled the covers over my head. I certainly would have said, God, God what are you doing? What, what is this? What is this we're doing? Listen to this question. I heard this yesterday in a... In a, in a, in a uh, I was listening to a podcast, and this question came up. It's a question by Tom Skinner. His name is Tom Skinner. I spent a long time trying to come to grips with my doubts. When suddenly I realized I had better come to grips with what I believe. I have since moved from the agony of questions I cannot answer to the reality of answers that I cannot escape. And it's such a great relief. Here's a man who's not asking questions. He's trying to figure out how to live with an answer. Whose son is this? Who has a claim to this life? Living with the answers is much harder than answering the question or than asking the question. On the third day, third day. That means, you, you know what that means, right? That means that he walked with this little entourage. He walked to this place from point A to point B. He walked knowing every day. Knowing every day what was going to happen. Every day. And never turned back. Did not turn back. Did not turn back. Every day he walked. Sustained obedience. Sustained obedience. He walked to this place. And Abraham came to on the third day, lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And he kept moving. He kept going. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Now please listen to this. You won't regret if you do. 
I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That doesn't indicate it in the English version, but if you look in the original text, it says something like this. We will come back to you. And if you look in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about this incident, it says that Abraham believed that even from a charred altar would rise a living son. How would you like to have faith like that? You guys, I just told you. That's where you're headed. Are you in Christ? Now that scares some people. But don't be scared. Don't be scared. God is not saying to you today, you've got to go offer your son on an altar. God is not saying to you today, you've got to go offer your daughter on an altar. God is not saying to you today that you've got to give up prime rib and pecan pie. Although that might not be a bad idea for some of us. Or carne asada or whatever. God is not saying that you've got to stop loving the Chicago Cubs, the lovable losers. It's not about that, okay? It's not, it's, it's, it, it, it is, but it isn't. What we need to do is work with God in the process, knowing that we have a vision of where we're headed. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. Now remember, this is not, listen, another amazing part of this story, which is not overly dramatized, but it really comes down to a simple act of obedience. This boy could have resisted. So he laid, the, off, he laid the, the wood on Isaac. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I. Here I am, my son. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's fascinating. As, as you look at this text and you go deeper and deeper into it, you see that, that Abraham's response to God and his response to his son are, are very similar. He's accessible and available to his son, just like he's accessible and available to the father. Abraham has become a good man because Abraham has become a man of faith. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will see to it. That's what it literally says. God will see to it. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went on together. 
And they just kept walking. And they just kept moving to the place and moving toward the time. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built there an altar and he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Let's just stay there a second. And he, he did that because God told him to do that. My question is, will God really be an obstacle to our faith? Thank God for the narrator here, right? This is a test. So, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Boy, it's a good thing he's available and accessible to God. And he said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know, now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I know. Now I know that you know that I'm your God. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. What a coincidence. That was, that was sarcasm. And Abraham went and took up the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. It really doesn't take a biblical genius to figure this out. But later on, there was a father and a son. But the knife plunged deeply into the son. But this was no ordinary son. It's the son of God. And think of the love of the father and the son. And the sacrifice. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, and this is, uh, this is wow. This is, this is like God, God's response. God responds, guys. God's, God's not an abstract concept. God is not just an idea in our minds. God is a person. Trinitarian person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
God is a person, and he responds. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. Now God makes a promise. Right? I mean, like, take it to the bank. When he swears by himself, I mean, that's no need to doubt that. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Praise the Lord. Because we know that the most famous of this offspring is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I will bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on, your, on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Last time he lived at Beersheba, he thought he was comfortable. The son had come. He had made this agreement with Abimelech. He was settled and secure. He even planted a tree and enjoyed its shade. And then God comes along and says, I have a test for you. What else is there is there to say? I mean, God's going to test us. Right? There's a process that's happening in your life whether you're whether you're 90 years old or whether you're 9 years old if you're a Christian. There's a process that's taking place in our life. We've got to learn to trust him. Guys, I have I have I have listen. Please understand this. I have so many loves in my life. I love the Chicago Bears. I love pecan pie. I do. I love it. I, I, I love. I love. I love my bicycle, the one I ride with my feet and the one I ride with the motor. I, I love. I, yeah, I do. I love the Chicago Cubs. I love a good book, a novel. I love, I love my boys. I love my daughter. I love my wife. I love. I, I fear things. I'm afraid of things. I fear reversals. I fear someone's disapproval. I fear so many things. I've got lots of loves. 
And I've got lots of fears. And I've got lots of questions. Just like that motorcycle that just went by. But I have the answer. I, I know the one that I should love more than, more than anyone or anything who will make all of these other loves meaningful and put them into a proper perspective. In other words, what I'm saying to you is I think I love my wife until I learn how God loves and then I really start loving my wife. But I'm not going to learn how God loves until I receive His love. And I'm not going to receive His love until I know who He is. And I'm willing to respond to who He is. Right? And fear and all these other things that we struggle with, all these obstacles that keep coming up in our lives. And and don't you just sometimes sit back and say, man, am I going to have to go through that one again? And that one again, and that one again, and that one again. Guys, give up. Please, just give up. And I'm talking to myself here. It's time to surrender. It's time to stop feeling sorry for myself and surrender. God, take what you want. Whatever's getting in the way, take it. Because I know that I'll only ever be stable, at peace, know that I'm loved, and fear nothing when my heart is yours. Father, you don't hate us. You're not trying to take things from us. Everything that we have that's, that's good is from you. And you have a claim on all of it, including our own lives. So help us if we haven't surrendered to surrender. I I know that I struggle, Father. I personally hold on to stuff that I shouldn't. I'm not a very good example of this. But I want to be. Keep working in my heart and keep working in the heart of those who you love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.